So welcome back. I hope this was somewhat useful and even enjoyable for you. I'd like to continue now before lunch to again switch channel a little bit, not, not losing sight of the fact that all of these qualities are interrelated and really do support and nourish each other. Um, but it's also helpful as we go through these, these treasures, these qualities, to really have a sense of you know, what, what would be beneficial to focus on uh, in one's own life, in one's own practice, in one's own path. What is it that feels um, yeah, beneficial and useful to give more attention to? As I mentioned in the question period, I, I personally you know, find the specificity of intentionality to be very important in my own life. And so I, I do actually stay with a, an annual intention for the times off the cushion, but also on the cushion. I will often stay with a period for a period of several months, uh, focusing on really cultivating and, and developing an aspect of the teaching or an aspect of the practice uh, that I feel needs that care and attention. So the next of these quality, qualities is pasadi, that is uh, often translated. This is a quality of that inclines the mind towards liberation, unbinding. Now, most accurately, it's, it's translated as tranquility. Uh, actually, even more accurately, it's translated in, in verb form as tranquilizing which when you first hear it doesn't really sound very enticing, but we're not talking about numbing or dulling. We're actually talking about calming and stilling and grounding. I think when we sense the impact of the hindrances, the veiling factors upon our minds and bodies, the impact of craving, aversion, agitation, um, doubt, you know, we really sense the, the agitated nature of them, or the agitation that is held within them. You really have a sense in your own life how the, the craving for sensual pleasure can make us so busy, you know, in pursuing this or getting this or obtaining this or trying to keep this. Ill will makes us really busy with aversion and the endeavors to, to fix things or to make things go away. It can become almost a, a lifelong preoccupation. Um, restlessness and worry, we, we really have a sense of how this stirs our bodies and minds. And of course, doubt can just preoccupy us. The only a veiling factor or a hindrance that doesn't seem to hold this ongoing agitation is the veiling factor of dullness or numbness, which I think is hardly an enticing way to live. But I think it's often the ways that we recover from the agitation of all of the other hindrances. You know, that we can be so exhausted by craving or aversion or anxiety or doubt that at times the mind just wants to shut down. You know, it, it just was to shut down, to disconnect and go to sleep. 
our bodies can become agitated, contracted, stressed, and our minds proliferate stories and narratives about the past, about the future, about the present. And we, it's really, I think, so important to get a sense of the ways that agitation is the fuel of proliferation. Yeah? Agitation is the fuel of obsession and rumination. That seemingly ongoing production of thought that we can become so lost in or overwhelmed by. As some of you will know, the poly word for this narrative building, this storytelling, this proliferation of thinking is papancha. Papancha. If you don't know this word, it's a really, it's, it's a very good poly word to learn. Papancha, the proliferation of thinking based upon underlying patterns that distorts our capacity to see things as they actually are. Hmm? The generation of thinking rooted in underlying patterns that distorts our capacity to see things as they actually are. One of the synonyms for nibbana or liberation is nipapancha, the end of proliferation. The end of proliferation. I mean, sometimes people say, well, why is this an issue? You know, I, I kind of really like my fantasies and my pleasant stories. Is that you can see that if you fuel the pleasant proliferations, you, you are not invulnerable to the unpleasant proliferations. You know, it is a pattern. You know, you can't choose only to have pleasant stories and narratives. You know, if we find ourselves drawn into that endless narrative telling, it will touch every area of our lives. And the, the Buddha was actually quite, yeah, this sabotages well-being. You know, it sabotages stillness. You know, it, it sabotages serenity. And the, the Buddha was actually very precise about unpacking this storytelling, unpacking this proliferation of thinking, in really naming the kind of emotional tones or hindrance patterns that really beset us. He said there's, there's craving-based papancha. We know this. All, all the stories we have about what we need and what we, we enjoy and what we delight in and what we want more of, you know, my next vacation, you know, my, my new partner, you know, my new life, you know, my, all of the things that, you know, what kind of chocolate bar I'm going to buy in the, in the shop, you know, the endless proliferation that can happen revolving around this, this pattern of craving. You see very much there's, there's a version-based papancha. And I think you know, sometimes we think more about the things that we really hate and dislike than the people and the things that we love. A version-based papancha can take such a strong hold, can't it? You know, that we have a difficult person in our life that we really are averse to and how much we think about them. You know, why they are the way they are, you know, how we make them different, how to get away from them. You know, we have a difficult situation in our life and an illness or, you know, a family situation. And the mind just kind of teems with thoughts. You know, it just kind of goes round and round in circles. There is fear based papancha, 
you know, anxiety-based papancha, you know, the, the worries that we have, you know, that can, and that has a very specific, you know, all of these have a very huge impact somatically upon the body, you know, upon stirring up the body, unsettling the body. Mind-body can't really be separated. Um, you know, what is happening in the mind will impact in the body. Fear-based papancha, you know, how... How we how we make ourselves safe, you know, our, our search for guarantees and certainties, and um, you know how to avoid that which unsettles us. There's view-based papancha, you know, the the topic of many conversations. You know, my views about the world, you know, my views about politics, my views about you know the health service, my views about the queen, you know, my views about the monarchy, you know, my views about everything. You know, we have a view. And how much, you know, how much thinking gets generated. And the last stream of papancha that the Buddha really pointed to that, you know, personally, I feel that this is at the root of all of the other streams of papancha is the self story. The story of me. Um, you know, who I believe myself to be, what I'm lacking, what I need, what I'm afraid of you know, the story about my body, the story about my mind, the story about my life, all of that self-story, which can occupy actually so much space in the mind. Now, all of this, all of this agitation and all of the, the story building is actually the stuff of self-making. This is how we create the view of, you know, the view of self, who I am, my beliefs. And it's also the stuff of the other making, apart from self. Just as our minds and bodies can be, be shaped by the veiling factors, our world can be shaped by also, by craving and ill will and anxiety and numbness and doubt. And this is a world of distress. This is a world we're invited to understand. This is a world we're inviting to calm and to clear. I think that the first job of every meditator is to begin to calm the agitation. To begin to calm the agitation in the body and in the mind. It's really the, the first instruction in the Satipatthana Sutta, the teaching of establishing mindfulness. The Buddha says, breathing in, calming the formations, breathing out, calming the formations. And the formations are, are the repetitive patterns of agitation, reactivity, the obsessions, the preoccupations, the, the busyness and the narratives. Isn't this always the first job of every meditator? is to begin to calm the agitation. And when I say it's the first job, it, it, it's actually a job that can last a considerable period of time. It's, it's a challenge for us. You know, we, we live in a world that feels very agitated. Our sense doors are flooded with a tsunami of sensory impressions. We can live with a very stimulation-bound attention, you know, where we're always seeking for, for something that's exciting, that's intense, that's dramatic. Um, this is where, because that's often where we feel most awake and alive. 
you know, if, if we can find or connect with some degree of intensity or drama or excitement. And, you know, I, I think more and more, uh, you know, we, we almost like fear boredom. We fear being deprived of excitement. We fear a, a place where nothing is happening. My sense is that we, we don't always appreciate the way in, ways in which this infatuation with intensity and events really enslaves us to the world of conditions. Our sense doors again be, becoming hungry in the search of, of what we want. You know, Joseph Campbell wrote, he says, I think what, what we're really seeking for is the sense of being fully alive. This is a noble desire. Yeah? This is actually a noble desire to feel fully alive. But very easily it gets subverted into a path of craving. You know, this is how I'm going to feel fully alive is by feeling stimulated or gratified or being woken up by conditions around me. I think that my sense is that the cultivation of joyfulness inwardly generated has, has given us a taste of something that is more profound and enduring than the fleeting pleasant sensations and gratifications born of pursuing the world of conditions. This is quite a, a huge shift inwardly, by the way. In, the, in, the, in any contemplative journey, to really taste something more profound and enduring than the fleeting, pleasant conditions that we can produce, pursue in order to feel fully alive. There's a word that appears so frequently in the early text, which is disenchantment. Disenchantment. It really features so strongly in, in, the, in, the process, in the waking up process, in the liberating process. The Buddha sees disenchantment as being something really key. Now, disenchantment is not about taking the, the wonder and the mystery out of life. But I think calming begins when we begin to be disenchanted with being enslaved by our impulses. Well, we become disenchanted with distress and drama, where we start to be disenchanted with the cycles of craving and aversion that lead to distress. This is actually, you know, we kind of no longer believe in them. We actually see that they don't work. They don't take us to places where we wish to be. And so we begin to really sense it. it's not something that's forced, you know. It, it's not something that, yeah, it's not something that's forced. We find ourselves just increasingly less interested in being the central player in those cycles, you know. Being there, I know this, you know, I've done this. We become less interested in being the central player. It's a powerful word much used in, in, in the Buddhist teaching. What, what's being implied in disenchantment is actually really quite a profound understanding 
because what disenchantment is about, it's, a, it's about the withdrawal of projected promise. It's about the withdrawal of projected promise. We no longer are tempted to externalize the sources of happiness and joy. We no longer actually really believe that the sources of happiness and joy are implicit in the world of conditions. We no longer, we no longer look at the, at the world and at other people with this plea you know, to make us happy. We know that we no longer believe, even though there are so many difficult conditions in life, we no longer believe that anything in this world of events and experiences holds the intrinsic power to bring the distress we experience to an end or to deliver enduring happiness. It's simply we have changed that view. We've changed that belief system. I think we also have begin to have in this path a, a growing confidence, a growing trust that the roots of true joyfulness and peace and happiness lie in our own hearts. Out of disenchantment, which is an understanding and, and not a state, we begin to calm. The fires of greed, the fires of hatred and delusion do begin to cool. And the veiling patterns, that hindrances, begin to lose their power. In my experience in teaching and in my own personal practice, I, 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 I remember really that turning point where I began to love stillness more than loving drama. I, I began to love stillness more than being enchanted by the narratives and stories. We begin really to sense the way that so much event making in our lives, intensity has its roots in craving and aversion and confusion. And I think that's just an open question for us. You know, is it true? When there is agitation inwardly, it seeks an outlet. And it seeks an outlet. It's not that we just hold agitation, you know, so, you know, secretly within our hearts and minds. But we see in the way that agitation really leads to impulse leads to impulsive speech. Have you noticed that? That if you're agitated, that the words just fly out of your mouth, you know, that there's no kind of pause moment whatsoever of, you know, is this appropriate? Is it helpful? Is it true? When, there, when there's agitation, speech becomes very impulsive. Thought becomes very driven when it's underpinned by agitation, becomes very driven. And actions again, become very reactive, often taking us to places of, taking us to places very far from where we wish to be. Impulse takes us into a world of, often of regret and exhaustion. And the Buddha was very clear that the, the end of dukkha begins with calming the agitation. 
this is a process, you know. Again, I think I think it's so important to take this to move from a noun to a verb form. Rather, again, of thinking, you know, calm as just a state, to think of calming, the verb calming. It's a process. It often begins, and so much of this path is really rooted in, in mindfulness of the body. Okay? It, it, it's hard to get away from that. The, it, and it, it's our accessible place. You know, mindfulness of the body is far more accessible than mindfulness of the mind. So we begin by calming the body. Noticing when the body starts to move, when the body's being pushed by impulse and agitation. And these are the places where we can actually learn to cultivate a pause moment, to feel our feet touch the ground, and to be present in the midst of the waves of the agitation and the veiling factors. I think we cultivate those pause moments in the body before we move, before we act, in the, in the midst of restlessness, in the midst of excitability. This is our classroom. It's the only classroom we have. And every moment we begin to just calm those impulse moments, we do begin to experience the benefits of it. We taste more joyfulness and stillness. We step out of the world of regret and, and shame. And equally, as the body calms, the mind also begins to calm. Calming the thought processes. We perhaps learn that we do have a choice about whether or not to feed papancha, to feed proliferation, the stories that can be set us. Faced with the agitation in our thoughts and dramas, we can learn to connect with places in the body that are free from agitation. The palm of my hand is never agitated. The soles of my feet actually are almost never agitated. And we can learn actually in the midst of the, the kind of torrent of thinking, we can feel that we have the choice to take our attention elsewhere and to highlight that which is more beneficial to us. It's no accident that mindfulness of the body is so central in the teaching of waking up because the body can be such a powerful refuge from the storms of our thinking and agitation. In, the, in, a, in, a, in a storm of agitation, we can take our attention to one of the sense doors to listen wholeheartedly, to see wholeheartedly, and we begin to calm. In the presence of agitation, <clears throat> you know, we can become so disconnected from actually our environment and from the world around us and from any level of sensitivity. And I'm, I'm sure some of you have experienced this, you know, you go out on a walking meditation, you know, and, and you look fantastic. You know, you look like a re really well-developed walking meditator, you know. 
It all looks good. And inwardly, you can just be seething with thought, you know, um, and with story and narrative. And you come back from the walking meditation, you really realize nothing has touched you. Nothing has touched you. We're living the agitation. We can go out onto the same walking path with a mind that is not beset by agitation, where there is calming, and suddenly the world begins to open for us. We feel more touched. And we it's so important that we cultivate those moments that we don't just wait for this particular storm to be over. You know, we learn to to really read the clues of the storms of agitation, you know, in the in the busyness and the fullness of the mind, in the stirring of the body. And we begin to learn, yes, I can touch the ground. I can listen wholeheartedly. I can see wholeheartedly. And part of that pause moment is, is in reality the cultivation of restraint. You know, the Buddhists talk so often about guarding the sense doors, protecting the sense doors. We really see when our eyes and our bodies become so activated by craving and aversion to prowl the world, you know, wanting and not wanting. You know, I remember, you know, once teaching at Gaia House and you know, uh, one of the participants in the retreat reported to me that, you know, she'd been through this period of, of several hours of being so agitated that, you know, she'd read every single sign that was on the walls of the house, you know. You know, she'd, she'd, she'd been back and forth to, the, to her room, you know, to the bathroom, you know, anything but, but walk or sit. And then she said she, you know, she'd read all the tea boxes, you know, you know, and then she said she read the instructions on the fire extinguisher. And apparently the first instruction on every fire extinguisher is aim the nozzle at the base of the fire. And she said she suddenly had this epiphany moment, you know, where she woke up and said, ah, the agitation is the base of the fire. That's where I need to be directing, you know, my mindfulness and my attention to actually see what's just pushing me in this way through my day we learn to cultivate restraint i mean this is this is so this is such a useful exercise you know when we go out into the world or you know into 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 a shop or into another environment and just see how busy the eyes get how hungry the eyes can get you know it's just oh let me just fill myself up a little bit you know um they can be such, our sense doors can be such powerful messengers of craving and aversion, but they can be equally powerful messengers of sensitivity and appreciation. There are said to be four primary supports of pasadi, or tranquility or calming. The first of these was raised in the questions earlier, solitude. Not not disconnecting from life, not disconnecting from the world, but taking moments that we are at ease with ourselves and at ease with aloneness. We think this is easy, but anyone who's ever been on retreat knows that this is not easy at all. The second of the supporting factors for calming is dispassion. It's interesting that the word passion 
in the early teachings is used in, in quite contrasting ways. And in one way, the Buddha really praises passion, says we need passion, you know, we need that enthusiasm, we need to be passionate about what we're doing. And he also uses passion as being a kind of fire of, of craving and ill will. So when he speaks about we need dispassion, we need solitude at ease with ourselves, times in our day when we just stop. We can do this, you know. I, you know, I find if I'm traveling on a train or, you know, if I'm traveling or if I'm flying somewhere, which I don't do very much anymore, um, you know, or if, I, if I'm out in the garden, I don't always need a book, you know. I don't always need to be looking at something, you know, at a screen. I can actually sometimes just stop. So dispassion is about cooling, cooling the agitation. Um, a maturity in renunciation is said to be one of the powerful supports of tranquility. A maturity in renunciation to emerge from the clinging identification cycles. You know, in this word Pali, this word in Pali for renunciation equally translates as generosity. Okay. It's about non-clinging. It's about non-clinging. It's about caring for our own well-being, caring for the well-being of our hearts, caring for the well-being of our minds. Tranquility is truly a cultivation. It's a seed of potentiality within each of our hearts. It's an abiding, it's a home, and it's a refuge, and it is the climate of heart that allows understanding to deepen. It's a climate of heart that allows us to make that, that shift from cognitive knowing to deep understanding. And again, this isn't a, please, it's, 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 this is not just something we do on a cushion. You know, I, I see this so much as being, you know, a life practice, being mindful of, of what I'm doing with my sense doors, with my eyes and with, my, with the body. You know, being mindful, is that being pushed by hunger or is it a messenger of appreciation? Really knowing those moments when agitation is present in, you know, the busyness, the hurrying, the overdoing, the, the filling up of every moment with stimulation. To, to really have a sense that there, there are actually choices here in this life. Yeah? Actually choices here in this moment. And we can choose to ground. We can choose to still. We can choose to calm. And this is not an absence of aliveness or vitality. In truth, agitation is, is a pure substitute for a sense of aliveness. Okay, so I want to just pause there for, uh, for some moments and to, to really invite your reflections or your questions um, about this quality of calming and, and stilling. 